Hallelujah. Um, ben, if this isn't going to work, we can go to the handheld. But uh, Praise the Lord. Can you hear the sound of the rain coming? I'm talking about by your spirit. Can you hear the sound of the rain? Can you hear the sound of the of the clouds forming? Amen? <clears throat> he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Lord is saying to the church today. I want to um, talk to you about uh, what the Lord's been talking to me about. And uh, it's very much in repentance. You've heard the theme several times this morning. Uh, repentance is often the doorway to the future. It's often the release of the past into the glorious liberty of Jesus. And uh, of several weeks ago, uh, several of us went to Israel. And one of the things that I so much wanted to do was to be baptized in the Jordan. And I, didn't, I went online to see what it might have looked like and where was Jesus baptized and how far is it from Galilee and what does it look like today and all these things. And I hadn't been baptized before. And I thought, I'm going to go halfway across the world to be baptized in the same Jordan River that Jesus was baptized. And I know that for the people that experienced that, we did it at a corporate level and it's changing our lives. It's changing who we are as a people. It's changing who we see Jesus to be. And so the, it was one of the first days, and uh, I was afraid, but at the same time I was uh, excited to be part of something that was, I knew was going to change our lives. And so I was afraid because I have a prosthetic leg. I lost it when I was nine years old in a farming accident, and uh, oftentimes when I try to do things in water sports or places, there's parts of this leg that are made out of wood, and it swells. And when I've tried to do that in the past, uh, it all falls apart, and I'm over in Israel, and how am I going to get this fixed, and how's it going to work? And so I went into this with the absolute desire to be baptized, but the double-mindedness of how am I going to do it? What's it going to look like? And so I started thinking things like, well, maybe there won't be a lot of people there. And I can get down on my hands and knees and I can crawl into the river, right? Because I was thinking it was like this down here. And then I got there and there's buses in the parking lot full. And I'm like, well, so much for that plan. And so I thought, well, maybe I can find a nice quiet place. And you walk into the place to get your robe and I'm thinking, you know, maybe the people are all shopping and maybe, maybe there's nobody out there. And walked into the place and there's wall-to-wall people. And I'm thinking, well, okay, um, maybe we can find a nice quiet place downriver, right? So I'm thinking, Lonnie, that looks pretty good over there, you know. And as it turns out, we wanted it to be filmed. And so there was ushers there helping the people that wanted to be baptized to get to the right place. And as we continued to, we changed our clothes, and uh, that was a trial in of itself. And uh, we came out into the open area ready to uh, go down to one of the walkways. There were several walkways down to the river that were pavement. 
or, uh, or uh, concrete. Uh, so you could walk down. There wasn't any mud and, and things like that. So um, I thought, well, okay, uh, I, I still don't know how I'm going to do this. And I'm sweating and I'm, I want to do this, Lord, but I don't know how. And embarrassment is setting in and the shame is setting in. And I was starting to listen to voices that weren't God. It was the double-mindedness of trying to work it out at the tree of knowledge of good and evil to try and figure out how am I going to fulfill God's will that I'm going to be baptized? How am I going to do this? And so we went down into the, into the place where we were and, and for a little bit a time, the, the, the person who was guiding us uh, started um, saying, uh, this is your section and it was a section a little bit of, the, of a way from everybody. So I sat down there on, 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 the, uh, on the steps, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I said, uh, you know, maybe I can be one of the last ones out of all the 12, right? And so I'm thinking this thing, and I'll just kind of slip in at the end. I, don't, I still don't know how I'm going to get in the water. But if people have to carry me, I was looking around for walkers, and wheelchairs and, or a crutch or something to help me because I had to take my leg off and I had to figure out how I was going to do it, right? And so fear is coming in and what will people think and am I going to topple over and then like an ambulance is going to have to come and, and all these thoughts of, of bombarding my, my, my mind. And... At the last moment, the usher said, oh, no, this one over here. And there was about 40 people up the river uh, on, near where the river started to enter the baptismal area, and they were worshiping. And I thought, oh, my God, not, not in front of them. No, not in front of them. They're all going to be looking at me. They're all going to be stop singing, and it's all going to be this embarrassing situation. Not there, Lord. And then Lonnie says, uh, we're going to do Sean first. <laughs> really, Lord? Really? You could have fixed it for me to be down there where there wasn't anybody. You could have made this thing easy for me. And I have to take my leg off and hop over about 30 feet in front of 40 people that are worshiping the Lord and figure out how I'm going to go down the ramp. And I was just stressed out. But I was going to do it. I wasn't going to let fear have its way this time. So Greg came along, and you know how big Greg is. And he saw that I was struggling. I'm convinced that he would have picked me up and carried me in, because that's who Greg is. That's his heart. But I said, no, Greg, just, just walk along beside me so I can put my hand on your shoulder, and I can hop along, and when I lose my balance, just be there for me, so I can uh, get into the water. And once I'm in the water, the weight starts coming off my body because of the way you float. Tell about the, water. It was cold. the water was cold. They told me it wasn't cold, but it was cold. 
oh my gosh, and my knee, a couple of weeks before that, my knee, something happened to it. And I was having a really difficult time going up and down stairs. And it was swollen. And I tried to kneel down in several places along the trip, and I couldn't because it was so swollen. And so now here I am, taking my prosthetic limb off, and I'm hopping on this concrete that had rocks that were sharp. And those rocks hurt my feet as I was jumping along. But I'm not going to be denied. I'm not going to go away from this place defeated. I've come all this way. Somehow I'm going to do it. And so Greg just walked very slowly down into the water with me. And as the people were worshiping, my attitude changed. And I thought, God... How amazing it is that you sent 40 people who know you, who know your name, who know how to worship in spirit and in truth, who know how to be amongst the multitude of believers. How awesome is that, that as I am being baptized, the songs, the heavenly songs are permeating the air, are filling the atmosphere. How wonderful it is, Father. You see, there's always two ways to look at every situation. Either the overcoming of God's provision or what's wrong with the situation and how you wish it were different. And so, uh, we all were baptized on that day and I believe it changed the course of the course that we're on. Because I can see things happening in the heavenly realms that are lining up with God's prophetic words. I can see fear is being dealt with in people's lives. The double-mindedness that we all struggle with of who God is and what He's doing in our lives is being addressed by God. Is being dealt with. The fear, the anxiety, the places of rejection. The places of fear where we say to ourselves, I don't know if I'm willing to walk through that. Maybe another time or another place. And it was the same story in a different time and in a different place through a different people. You see, there's nothing new here that I've explained that didn't happen back then. And one of the stories I want to bring to your attention this morning as I look into the spiritual places, we are a people who need to know and understand what is going on in heavenly places. What is going on in the realms of the Word of God? What is going on in the the setting of Jesus Christ? We all have natural eyes to see. We all have ears to hear. And we all have the ability to assess the things that are going on around us. And most of the time it's bad and negative and oppressive and full of fear. Watch the news any night of the week and it's full of things that will just drag you down. It was in the days of Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah. Ahab was a king wicked king. And he was married to a woman named Jezebel that was wicked. And she used the king's authority in a way to usurp authority, to kill people, 
to, dis, to take them out of their inheritance, to take them out of the ways and the prosperity of God. This was going on and the people, the children of Israel started to fear, started to be anxious, started to wonder. We cannot measure God's love by natural sight, by human assessment or human circumstances we're in, by making a list of the things that are good and bad and deciding which side is God on. You see, Lonnie is trying to get us to think about in Ephesians 1.17 when he handed this out, and if you don't have one, there's more. He handed this out several weeks ago. He's trying to get us to think about what is there in my life in Jesus Christ? What, there needs to be more. There needs to be something that I haven't experienced yet. And I want to read to you the amplified version of Ephesians 1.7. It says, For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that He may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into mysteries and secrets, in the deep and intimate knowledge of Him, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, so that you can know and understand the hope by which He has called you, and how rich His glorious inheritance is among the saints, His set-apart ones. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of His power for us who believe. As demonstrated in the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ, He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His own right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, all of all authority and all power, dominion, and every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred. And not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world to come. I'm going to skip ahead in my notes a little bit. We talked about If you want to read the story, I'm going to explain a short version of the story of Ahab and Elijah and Jezebel. And you can find it. I encourage you to read it in 1 Kings 18 on your own because I believe it's a prophetic message to the church in the day that we're in of how God is coming to aid the people of His love. He's coming to help the people get over the idolatry to get over the fear, to get over the double-mindedness, to get over it so they walk in their destiny. We don't serve a God with a stick. We serve a God with a loving heart. And He knows our need on an individual basis and what holds us back. And there is a proclamation out of heaven in the day that we're in that God is saying, I'm going to deal with the fears of my people. I'm going to deal with the insecurities. 
And I'm coming to do it in the most loving and tender and compassionate way. In that day, Baal was the chief male deity of the Canaanites and the Phoenicians. He symbolized the productive forces of nature. His wife was Asherah, a Canaanite in Canaanite mythology. And the word tells us that there were 450 prophets of Baal and there were 450 prophets of the, his wife sitting at Jezebel's table, ministering day and night. Because the devil at that time had an agenda of fear, of oppression, of double-mindedness. Elijah was sent onto the scene. Elijah was a prophet. He was a man of God. He was a man that was capable of hearing the voice of the Lord in those days and declaring his word upon the earth. And Elijah came onto the scene and he goes to the king and he says, uh, it's not going to rain for years because you have transgressed the promises of, the, of God. I'm gonna, God's going to bring a drought on the land. Now, remember, Baal is uh, worshipped because of his thought to be influence on nature. And the people were believing that he was the one who caused it to rain. But God said, I, by the time we're done, all of Israel is going to know the difference between the false God and the real God. And so Elijah released the word and then he went into hiding and he was fed for some years by a brook with the ravens. And read the story, it's an amazing story. But at the end of the period of time that God had assigned for the drought, God told Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab. I want you to present yourself to Ahab and I, and I will end the drought. Well, as the way the story goes, Ahab and Jezebel and their entourage had sent people throughout all of the land looking for Elijah for months, for the years of this drought. They were looking for him because they were thinking somehow he was, the, he was to blame. And I can only imagine if they found him, they would have hauled him into some court someplace and probably thrown him in prison or killed him. But they didn't find him. And Ahab and his right-hand man are going into the land looking for water that they don't have to slaughter some of their animals. And they're going out into the land and they're looking for water, they're looking for green pasture, and all of a sudden Ahab presents himself to Ahab's right-hand man. And he said, go tell Ahab that I will present myself to him this day. And so later that day, uh, Ahab, I'm missing huge parts of this story, but read the story because I believe it's a prophetic message of where we're at. So Ahab comes and presents himself to the king, and they, the king blames Elijah for all the mess that, is, that the kingdom is in because of the drought. And he said, no, it's not because of me, it's because of you. 
And you need to know that there is a God in heaven. And I'm telling you, bring all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah and meet me on top of Mount Carmel. We're going to see who's, who, what God, who, whose God is God. And so Elijah went on to the top of Mount Carmel. All the prophets of Baal show up. There had to be thousands of people that were meeting on the top of this mountain. It's, the mountain is up in the northern part, uh, west of Galilee, so it's over near the coast. You can look out and see the sea from the top of the mountain. And Elijah said, we're going to take two bulls, and we're going to offer the bulls as a sacrifice. And the God who answers by fire is God. And so all of the prophets of Baal prepared their offering. And so just for the sake of numbers, 450 to 1. Do you, do you sometimes look and say, everything's against me? I can't win this. Everywhere I turn, everywhere I go, there's no one for me. Everything is against me. I can't possibly imagine how this could turn out for my good. Do you think to yourself, oh, only if they knew. Only if they knew. Well, Elijah was one man, but he represents the church today. He represents who you are. He represents who you are in Jesus. It represents who you are in Christ, the Word of God upon the earth today. And so Elijah says, I'll let you go first. 450 to 1. And they all wanted to kill him. So the prophets of Baal build their offering, build their altar, put the, the cow on it, put the wood on it. And they start chanting and they start doing their thing. Calling on Baal, calling on the fire to come down from heaven and demonstrate to everybody that was there, He is God. We have the hindsight of this story because we know that it didn't happen. At noontime, Elijah started to mock them and say, you need to shout a little louder because your God is on a vacation. You need to shout a little louder because maybe He's sleeping. You need to shout a little louder because maybe... And so they began to cut themselves with knives, blood on their bodies. They began to shout even louder and stomp around like madmen. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, didn't happen. They had spent all day calling upon a God that didn't exist. Calling upon a God that was not going to answer them. And Elijah comes up and he says, I want you to go get some pitchers of water and dump it on the offering that I made. And so some people go and get some pitchers of water and dump it on the offering. And he says, do it again. And they did it again. And then he said, do it again. And they did it a third time. And then he says, God, I know you hear my voice. God, I know who you are. God, I know who you've sent me to be. But so all of these people would know that you would accept this offering. And fire came down out of heaven, and it says it consumed the offering and all of the water and all of the wood, and there was nothing left. 
What an amazing event that God orchestrated. The same is true in your life. God is, God is orchestrating the heavens right now. I believe we're in a season of time where God is orchestrating heaven that the sons of God are being revealed. But first, He's dealing with their fears, their double-mindedness. I told you the story about I wanted to be baptized, but I couldn't shake the double-mindedness of what if? How am I going to do this? Did I trust? Did I really trust God? Then I wouldn't have gone through all of the what ifs and the anxiety. God, I'm here to be baptized. I don't know how you're going to do this. I'm here to participate. But I let fear come and grip me for minutes, a couple of hours. And God is dealing with the fear of His people. He's coming in a way of so gentle and so loving and so precise. The double-mindedness of we really don't trust God. So I've got to do something here to make sure this comes out the way it needs to come out. I've got to intervene with God in a way or His will isn't going to be fulfilled. The double-mindedness of thinking God isn't God, but we, we somehow code it in a way that still sounds religious, that still sounds like, well, God can do this, but I've got to do something. You see, God is working with the fears right now, the double-mindedness, everything that holds us back, everything that we've worried about, everything that we've been anxious about, everything that we have said, I don't know if God's going to fulfill that word. And we leave here on a Sunday, at least I do, and I'm thinking there's never been more, I've never had more faith to believe that God is who He said He was going to be, and then Monday morning happens. And I spend Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday wrestling and wondering, how is this going to turn out? This is contrary to how I thought things were going to be. The evidence that my eyes see don't line up with my imagination of, who, of how I thought God was going to fulfill this part of the story. And Elijah's there, 450 to 1. God, I know you. But so these people would know you, would you show yourself? And God licked up the offering, consumed it, and he said, choose this day. Let there not be another day. He said, and and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter or hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. How many times I've hesitated, I've hesitated. How many times have I questioned, God, did I hear you? Did I really hear you? How many times do we spend hours and hours and hours at the tree of knowledge, good and evil, hesitating, doubting? God hates doubt. 
He hates unbelief. But he's coming to deal with it in a way and in a season of time that we're in. He knows we're fearful. But he also knows how to get us out of it. He also knows how to come and be the faithful, loving God that he is. God wants the wholehearted devotion and helping us to reach and grow into higher places. It may seem impossible, but we need to be persistent until we are clothed with power from the Spirit of the Lord. So after that, Elijah says, grab all the prophets, take them off the mountain down into the valley. They took them all down into the valley and they dealt with them there, similar to how Moses dealt with the Egyptians and said, from this day forward, you will no longer see your enemies. From this day forward, there is a deliverance coming and you are a changed people. From this day forward, the past cannot hold you. And the prophets of Baal were killed in that valley. They weren't on the mountain because the high places belonged to God. And then... Elijah went back up onto the mountain of Mount Carmel and he took his servant with him and the other pe- some of the other people followed him. And he said, now it's time for the drought to end. And he sent his servant over to the edge of the cliff to look out into the sea and report back what he saw. And the servant said, there's nothing over there. Go again. So Elijah put his head between his knees and earnestly prayed again with all of his might, believing the drought is over. Sent the servant to the edge of the the edge of the mountain again to look out over the ocean, and he came back and reported, There's nothing there. How many times have you and I prayed a prayer full of faith, all that we are, prayed and fasted? But the situation remained the same. The trial that we're in hasn't changed. Elijah didn't give up. In fact, the Word tells us that he prayed seven times, earnestly, with all of his heart. And the seventh time, he sent his servant to the edge of the mountain, and he came back and said, well, I don't know, but there's something out there as small as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. And he said, then run, because you're not going to get home before the torrential rain overtakes you. And he started to run, and he told Ahab, get in your chariot and start running for Jezreel, because you're not going to get there in time, and it's gonna, the rain is pouring out. The purpose of that story that I want to highlight here is the power of the Spirit came upon Elijah, and he ran ahead of the chariot. Can a human being run faster than a horse and chariot? Not in the natural. Not by our natural strength and our natural... He was a man that was very fit. He traveled all over. said the power of the Spirit came upon him and he ran all the way to Jezreel and he got there before Elijah did. He ran ahead of the horses. I want to tell you that the prophetic message is when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, you're going to be able to do things outside of natural, outside of natural understanding. God always wants to confirm His Word. He wants to equip you with the very thing to overcome the fears, overcome the double-mindedness, 
to overcome the past. And we're in a season of time right now where I believe the Lord is drawing that line and He says, I'm here to help. I'm here to listen to your confession. I'm here to listen to the repentance coming out of your heart. And once there is agreement between heaven and earth, because I already know, God says He already knows what's in the heart of man. And once there is agreement, once there is that place of unity, God, yes, I'm fearful. I confess my double-mindedness. And sometimes I don't believe you to be who you are. And I let fear come. And I develop all of these plan A's and plan B's in case you fail. And when you have that kind of heart-to-heart discussion with God, He draws a line. And He says, you've forgiven. And now, let's walk on. And He reaches down His hands and He said that I will hold your hand and I will cause you to arise and I will be your side guard and rear guard and I will walk on with you And your destiny will be your experience. And I will provide the power of my spirit to put you into places where you cannot overcome on your own. You see, I couldn't go down into the river on my own. I had to have a brother come beside me and just stand there. To just stand there that when I lost my balance, I could reach over and touch his shoulder to get steady again so I could go again. God designed this walk that you and I are in so you can't do it alone. You can't overcome fear by yourself. You can't overcome double-mindedness. You can't overcome all of the strongholds. God has a many-membered body. And the integrity of that body is the integrity of the Lord. And so if you think that, as I begin to close here, I don't know how to even see myself. I don't even know how to look at myself the way God sees me. Then that's the conversation that you have with him. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we are looking in a mirror that gives only a dim and a blurred reflection of the reality as in a riddle or an enigma. But when the perfection comes, we shall see in reality face to face. Now I know in part, imperfectly, But then I shall know and understand fully and clearly. Even in the same manner as I have been fully and clearly known and understood by God. You might be saying, well, I do have fear. But God isn't happy with sin, in the kind of fear that doubts who he is. 
the kind of fear that questions his authority, you might be saying to yourself, oh, but Sean, you just don't know. The answer out of his word for that kind of thinking is in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. Are you dreading the secret place to be alone with God to bear your heart? In his heart, there isn't dread. In his heart, in a place of perfect love, the things that you and I think about of who our Father is don't exist. That's not who he is. This is who he is. Dread does not exist But full-grown and complete and perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not yet reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. When you were saved, the covenant that you made with God, He had a part in it. And His part is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But I will orchestrate every day to bring you to a place where you're perfect. Perfect love. That's where we find ourselves. This is where we are. We prayed for the men last week. We prayed for others the week before. And I heard so many places, I'm afraid. You don't know what happened to me. Let me tell you. God knows. And through your confession, God is saying, perfect love. There's a season of God's perfect love where he comes to deal with the fears, the double-mindedness, the anxiety, the oppression the self-judgments, the judgments of others, everything that would cause you to be stuck where you're at. People, God said at Tabernacles, it's time to grow up. It's time for the sons to take their position And that's why God is coming and wanting to bring such a deliverance that's radical, that we trust Him in all situations. You have been a group of overcomers all the days of your life. And you will be until the day He returns, where you're made perfect like Him, not fearing, not anxious, not planning, not a a man or a woman, trying to figure out plan A, B, C, D, E. I I probably got to M or O on the side of that bank, trying to figure out. And then looking back, why did I do that? Why? Why did I choose that I was going to walk through a spiritual event under my own strength? Why did I go there? Because God wanted to bear me to bear my heart to Him so He could heal it. 
so he could come and say, now that you know this exists, I'm here to help you. That's where we are as a body of believers. Don't be afraid to confess your weaknesses. We sang all about what the Word is in our worship. Walking around these walls, I thought they'd fall by now. God is causing the walls to fall, and it's an uncomfortable place. It's a place where we're not sure. Well, God is here to say, I am your God. I will not fail. I will hold your right hand, and I will walk you through this. And so I leave you with Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. You don't get to present yourself faultless. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God isn't on his throne dreading the work that he's doing in you because he sees the end result. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Jackie, uh, you said you had some announcements that you wanted to...